How about now? Oh, there we go. All right. There we go. Okay. We're going to John chapter 1. If you were at the Christmas tea last week, uh, they, they had a, a handout, and it was like a little quiz each person did at their tables. And one of the questions was, Name the two books that don't have the name the two gospels that don't have the Christmas story in them, and the answer would be Mark and John. But to buck tradition, we're going to look at John chapter one as a Christmas text. Okay, John chapter one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made." In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I want to focus in on verses 16 and 17 here for the sermon this morning. Uh, so look at that again with me. And I invite you to look at your notes or, or look at the screen. Uh, this is the ESV version that we have behind me. And uh, the wording is a little more precise. Uh, I think NIV says blessing, one blessing after another. Uh, it's actually grace. That's the word. So I want to look at that verse. And so it says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this verse starts with the word and, which would link it to the verses before. So if you go a couple of verses earlier, it says, uh, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Jesus, God, took on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what they're saying is, what John's saying is, Jesus is full of glory. He's completely glorious. That refers to His his beauty, His perfections, who He is. But, you could talk about His glorious holiness, His glorious compassion, His glorious love. But John is thinking about His glorious grace and His glorious truth. That's verse 14. He's full of grace and truth. And so then when you get to verse 16, it's out of this fullness, out of who Jesus is, the one who is grace and truth, 
the one is full of glory is actually giving us of that glory. He's giving us grace because grace is who he is. So he's giving us grace upon grace. I, I know the NIV does, uh, I tried to do a good job there trying to say it's blessing after blessing. All, all of these blessings coming upon us. But the word is, he's giving us grace. In fact, some even more literal translations say grace in exchange for grace. It's like this inexhaustible supply of grace. It's always there. And then he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so Moses is the great law giver. Now, of course, God gave Moses the law. It didn't actually, Moses didn't come up with it from his own head, but he is like the guy who brought it forth. In other words, Moses was instrumental in showing people the law of God, the, the thou shalt nots of the Old Testament and even the thou shalt, the things you should do, the things you shouldn't do. And Moses was instrumental in giving that to the people. So what John is saying is, Jesus is also instrumental in showing people grace and truth. Law was about, maybe a little more about truth, even though there was grace in the law. If you think about it, they had all these laws that you had to keep, and if you failed at that, you could sacrifice an animal. And so even then, you're kind of like reminded that I deserve to die like the animal deserves to die, but the animal's suffering and dying for my sin. And so Israel would get in this cycle because they could never keep the law well. They, they always rebelled. So you had, this, you had Israel rebelling, and then typically God would bring a nation in and judge Israel. And then Israel would start to cry out to God, God help us, and they would repent. And they'd start to follow the law again. And then uh, God would come in and deliver them from whatever enemy was taking over. And then Israel kind of got settled again. Then they start to rebel again. So you had this cycle of, of rebellion and then, and then uh, judgment and then, deli- and then repentance and deliverance and it kept going around and around and around. So the law never really did for Israel what it was meant to do. It, it was supposed to bring uh, some sort of following God and, and living in, in God's standards and His holiness. It just never got there. And, and Paul spends... Huge amounts of time in Romans uh, talking about that whole reality. We'll look at one of those verses later. But this is an excellent verse for Christmas because what it's saying is, with the appearing of Jesus came the appearing of grace. Yes, they had sacrifices back then. You know, I mean, there was still some grace in the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. But with Jesus comes the ultimate example of grace. I want to encourage us, and, 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 and based on what you saw here with, um, with Kevin and his drama, um, <clears throat> to be grace givers. Christmas can bring out some ungracious reactions. Certainly I myself get a little bit no- annoyed when it's always happy holidays. I, I just read about a school, I believe on the East Coast, where um, they, 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 they're taking Christmas off their school calendar. You know, and you read these things and, and they're like, well, we're going to be religion neutral. You know, we're not going to put any religious holidays on there. And you kind of read that and go, I, I see where we're going, you know, and, 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 and it can be troubling. What's the gracious response there? How do we give the gift of grace when sometimes all we see is things that make us angry, as we've seen this morning? Um, so let's do this. 
if we want to give the gift of grace, we're going to have to do a couple things well. And I want to talk about what those two things are. Okay? You want to be gracious to relatives and family members over the holidays? You want to be gracious to your neighbors, people that don't know Christ? How, how can you be gracious when that stuff, when something's great on your nerves? Okay? So number one, if we're going to do this well, we're going to have to let go of legalism. We're going to have to let go of legalism. Our verse is, Moses brought the law. That's the legal side of things. We don't hate the law. We don't say the law is foolish. The law is good and all those things. But it's not what we're focused on. It's not the central focus of our entire life. Because to do that would be to do legalism. Now, what is legalism? I've given you two definitions here. Uh, One of them is a little bit more theological than the other, but I want to give you both. I read this one on a blog this week, uh, Matt Carter's blog. He's a Christian musician. He said, Legalism is the tendency to take man-made suggestions, rules, practices, and elevate them to the level of essential doctrine. So, let's use our Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays for a second. Do you have to say Merry Christmas this time of year? And, And many of you say, well, yeah, you do. It's Christmas time. Quote me the verse. Okay? Quote me the verse. All right, so, so that's what we're saying. You, you don't have to. I mean, lying is a necessity that you shouldn't do that. You know, that's like an essential. There are essentials in the Bible. Saying Merry Christmas in December is not one of them. Even though I'll continue to do it. But it's not essential. So we don't want to elevate it too high. That's a good definition. Uh, John Piper's definition is excellent in its theology, as you might guess, coming from him. I love this one, and I wanted to give this one to you as well. Legalism is pursuing the law in the wrong way. So again, not lying, telling the truth is a good thing. We should all pursue honesty. But if you pursue it with some other engine than faith, it's wrong. Engine being the key word there. What drives you to be an honest person? What drives you to be a giving person at the holidays? Is it because you want God to notice you? Well, then you've messed up. Is, is it because you want to earn favor from God? That you think if you do this and God will do this and you can make this little exchange with him? Well, that's not right. We do what's right. We keep the law because our faith in God tells us to. If you believe he is who he is and he's holy, you're going to want to be like him. That's faith. I'm going to come back to that in a minute and, and kind of explain a little bit more. But I want to first talk about Why people are legalistic. I feel like I could preach five messages on this, but I'm going to try to go fast, okay? Um, Why do Christians embrace legalism? Why do we do this? I think it's in every church, and I think it's in every heart to a certain extent. We're all law-focused at some point, okay? Why do we do this? I I read read a, a a few good blogs this week. And I took some of the things that I read and I thought, this is excellent. I want to give this to you today. Um, here it is. A, why are we legalistic? A, laziness. Laziness. This kind of legalism is like, just tell me what to believe, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. This is the pastor told me syndrome, okay? This is, this is the whole thing. I mean, I grew up in this system where uh, rock music is, is evil, you know, it's Satan's music. 
because it sounds like the world, and you say, what does the world sound like? Well, the world has a drum beat behind it. You know, it's like, okay, um, <laughs> you know, sounds good. Um, you know, you watch, you watch the video Hell's Bells. Have you seen this one, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that Satan doesn't influence the rock music industry. Please, I'm not naive. But listen to the record backwards and you can hear demonic messages, you know? I mean, <laughs> all right, all right. I, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't make fun. But these are my brothers and sisters too. That whole thing, it's like, show me the verse where if you have a drum in your music, it's wrong. Show me the verse. I see all sorts of instruments in the Psalms being talked about. All kinds of instruments. Now certainly, you can sing about some pretty evil things. And that's where we want to use discernment. But there's this idea that we respect certain people, and if they tell us it's bad, it's bad. But where stands it written? Show me in the book how this is wrong. Okay? Some of us, it's just laziness. We'd rather have someone tell us what to do and what not to do than open our Bibles for ourselves and read it. B, insecurity. Let's talk about insecurity for a second here. By the way, I'm not going to give every verse that, 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 that uh, you know, shatters this whole problem, but if you want to look more into this this week, I've given you a verse right there, 2 Timothy 2. You can look and kind of meditate on that this week as you think about this. But the disappointed deity thing kind of goes like this. God expects so much of me. His standards are so high. He is holy. And I better do everything I can to reach those standards or else, in my mind, God is the disappointed deity looking down on me from heaven and shaking his head. Whoops, I, swear, I, I swore today, you know. He's shaking his head at me. I, I didn't give enough today. He's shaking his head at me. I didn't serve enough people today. He's shaking his head at me. And so the insecurity thing is, i got to keep a list of things so I feel good about my walk with Christ. So I, not, not even walk. So I feel good about my relationship with God. If I do these things, I will feel like I am good with God. Do you know that you're only good with God because Christ died for you? Someone should have amen me there. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the only thing that makes you acceptable before God. The only thing. I just, I talked to too many Christians. I told myself I wasn't going to get wound up over this. But I talked to too many Christians that, that think because they've done this, because they, we serve the poor, we are good people. Because we pray a lot, we are good people. Because we fast. And whatever list you want to make, make your list. And then throw it out because Jesus did that for you already. Okay? He did it for you already. So if you want to love Him and serve Him and give your life for Him, awesome. But don't think it adds to your salvation even in a little bit. And don't think it makes God say, Oh, now, now I, I, I can see why I chose you to be saved. Now I know why you're a Christian. Look at all these good things you did. You're just making up for insecurity and you don't understand your identity in Christ as fully loved on your good days and on your bad days. I'd like to release you from a little guilt this morning. C, 
Pride. Pride. Uh, pride says, pride is not so much, I mean, there's a little bit of insecurity in pride, but pride is more like, I am self-disciplined. I am the guy who memorizes large passages of the Bible, and I try to quote them to whoever I can so you can see how much I know. By the way, memorizing Bible passages is awesome. <laughs> but not if you do it like that. Pride is, I wish every Christian were as disciplined as me. I wish you all acted more like me. Did you know that when you watch a rated R movie, that R is for wrong? Have I heard that one? Yes, I have. I didn't make that up today. Um, R is for wrong. Now, vast majority of R-rated movies, I would never watch. I mean, I get that. I, I, I know what's in those movies, and we avoid looking at those things. I get it. I get it. But, but, but if that's the way you're going about this, I have heard Christians say, you saw that movie? You saw that movie? Oh, you, know, you, sh- you shouldn't have seen that. You know? and, and, and maybe sometimes they're right. Maybe some movies have... Uh, uh, you know, uh, an amount of sexuality in them. It's just not good for any, any person to see. But I've also heard people say that about movies that they just think the premise is wrong. You just, you just shouldn't watch that. That's just, just the wrong idea for that kind of movie. You, know, you shouldn't see that. Um, that that's, that's our pride talking here. When, when it becomes, you all ought to be like me because I've got it right, that's pride talking. All right. D, fear. Fear. This is a scary one, and I mean that, okay? It, it really is scary. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the person that doesn't trust anybody, and, and they're, they're usually in a position of authority in some way. Maybe the, the head of the house, or, or a leader in the church, or a leader in the community, and they don't trust all of these people underneath them, and so... They want to uh, enforce their rules because they're scared that someone might go off the deep end. Well, if we don't enforce a dress code, I'm scared people are just going to wear whatever they want to wear. You get what I'm saying? Again, I've lived under a dress code most of my life. Okay, I went to a Baptist school early on. I went to a non-denominational Christian school in high school. I went to Moody Bible Institute. And all of them had a dress code. I'm not against dress codes. When I was a youth pastor and we had a pool party, we had a dress code and we enforced it. But there is the, what I, what I mean is in some circles, and you know these circles too, there's like this, well, how high does the skirt have to be before it's immoral? Well, we all know if it's not to the knee, that's wrong. I get it. Some people make clothing that no one should wear. I get it. And it drives me crazy too. I get it. But let's be careful that because we don't trust any of you guys to make good decisions on your own, that I'm enforcing my view. Because I'm right, you're not. I don't trust you to make a good decision, so you better listen to me. That's fear-based. And lastly, let's do E, uh, power. Power, I, I mean, I know nobody thinks this is the way it really is, but... I think there's probably power stuff in every church at some level. But, but the power thing is like cult behavior. I'm using an extreme example, okay? Uh, it's that whole thing of you can't celebrate your birthday 
you can't go to that doctor. You can't do this. Because we told you you can't. We'll stop you if we can. We're going to stop you. Whenever, whenever you get in a church and a group of people and, and you feel like there's this control thing, you've you got to get out of there. You've know, you, you got to leave. That, that's a bad place to be when you feel like there's, there's control and manipulation coming from the top. We love Christ and we obey Him because we love Him. All right? And, and yes, for our members, if our members are doing some things that are very anti-biblical, we do have church discipline. That is part of this whole thing. There's accountability. But when you try to gain power by making people conform in some way, that's ugly, it's gross, it's wrong. And probably at some level, that's everywhere. You better do what we tell you, because we're in charge here. Uh, j- just a few ideas there, that that, that is uh, some ways that reasons people embrace legalism. I think Philippians 3 has to be like the anti-legalistic passage that I love the most. Uh, put up Philippians 3, 4. Paul says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, what you do, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Could you take all the good stuff that you've ever done in your entire life and say, that's a loss? Whatever. Rubbish. Don't care. Could you take all the things that make you feel good about yourself as a Christian and throw them in the garbage and say, my identity is in Christ alone. And all of these things that I do for Christ, I do because I love Him. And He freed me to be a different kind of person. But it's not about me. I earn none of this. Could you do that? This is what our passage says this morning. If we could pull up that original passage, uh, Jim, uh, John 1, 16 and 17. He's given us grace upon grace. Um, I need to volunteer for this next part. Someone younger, preferably. Any volunteers? You'd like to come up on stage with me? You'll get something out of it, I promise. My kids all know what I'm doing. I can't have you guys come up here. Anybody. I need somebody that's willing to do this. All I see is my kids. All right, Sam. I want you, Sam. Come on up. This is this is so good. I'm so glad that you raised your hand, Sam. So glad. In fact, I would have picked you if you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> no. Could you uh, can I have you sit in the chair? Can everybody see the chair really well? Should I move this? There we go. Sam. It's an act of grace this morning. I am giving you a starburst. Act of grace. You didn't, you didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. I'm giving you something. You didn't do anything to get it, but I'm just, I'm just giving it to you. Now, is that what this verse is saying? That's grace. Sam didn't do anything. Well, he did sing this morning. But, but you know, I, I, just, I didn't give it to everybody. 
This verse says that we have received grace upon grace. Grace in exchange for grace. It just just keeps coming. It keeps flowing. So, Sam, could I give you some more grace? Are you okay? All right, good. Parents are okay with this? All right, all right. Grace, grace. There we go. There we go. Wait. Grace upon grace. So, thank you, thank you. Uh, Thank you. Take a couple and go back to your seat, please. (laughs) That's... Awesome, awesome. (laughs) Like, okay, do do you know that that that's what we're talking about here? We're not just talking about, please get me through the day. It's, is there some down your shirt? Is that what's going on? Okay, never mind. <laughs> it's, it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I mean, that's what the verse is talking about. It's an inexhaustible supply of grace coming at you every single day. So here's how we live. Here's how we live. Number two, we do everything by grace through faith. We do everything by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2, right? You've been saved by grace through faith. And that's a great salvation verse. It's a gift of God, not by works. No one can boast. You've been saved by grace, God's grace, through your faith. Faith is like, I'll take some more of that, please. Okay? Thank you. I'll take more. I believe you're going to hand it out, and I'm here to receive it. That, that, that's its faith. Grace is, I'm stepping on chocolate. Grace is uh, unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. I'm just giving it to you. We live this way. Uh, Check out Romans chapter 9. Can we get that up there? But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. So you're saying, Israel, you had the law and all all the laws of God, but you didn't actually become righteous? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They thought, you've got the law here, and I'm going to keep the law based on my human effort. I'm going to try harder. You ever read something about some amazing Christian and felt guilty? And you thought, I better try harder. No. No. When you read something, and when you hear about some amazing thing someone is doing, you say, God, give me grace to do that. Help ignite my faith to be everything you want me to be. You obey God because you put your faith in Him. Grace verse. First uh, Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Paul, you boastful person. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Do you ever feel guilty that you're not doing enough? Do you ever wish you had a flashier spiritual gift that everyone could see and it's very bold and upfront? You are what you are because of God's grace. And if you want to be more, if you want to do more, give more, just ask for more grace. 
stop trying harder. Because it's not about self-effort. It's about God pouring out grace upon grace so that you can be the way he wants you to be. And at the end of the day, if you've had an amazing day and you've done some incredible things and if you lead five people to the Lord in one day, you could say, it's God's grace. It wasn't me. It was his grace. Okay. The holiday season's coming up. I've given you a wish list on the back of your notes. I'll just read them briefly. I know some people, you like ideas on what to give, right? Give me your Christmas list. Let me give you Grace's wish list this year. Number one, sincerely compliment someone who dislikes you. That'd be good. That's giving grace. Number two, think about the buckets of grace God has poured out on you and praise Him for it. Number three, encourage someone who is mean or grumpy. I don't want to be around them. Give them some grace. Encourage them. They need that. Number four, don't freak out when a person without Christ acts like a person without Christ. <laughs> they just lie all the time. Or they're just, oh, the way they talk, I just can't, you know. Don't freak out. Give them some grace. They don't have Jesus, okay? Even people with Jesus have bad days. Number five, overlook an offense. Well, he said that about me, or she did that. What if you just overlooked it? Uh, Number six, ask for and receive God's grace to handle a problem. Something hard this season, something hard in your life this year, ask for and receive God's grace. Number seven, give a gentle answer to an angry person. A gentle answer to an angry person. Could you do that? Could you bite your tongue when they're screaming at you and give a gentle answer back? Truly gentle. Not one of those, I'm more righteous than you, so of course I'm talking nicely. You know, One of those, I really do care about you. And I, and I, and I can take it. I can take this. Give a gentle answer to an angry person. Number eight. Give a Christmas gift to someone in need. Even better, if it's anonymous. That's grace. Number nine. Forgive someone who has sinned against you. And tell them. Maybe put that on there. And tell them. Forgive someone who has sinned against you. Number ten. Assume the best about someone's words or actions. <clears throat> exercising discernment, of course. I think, I think all of these things call for discernment <clears throat> because some people, there are some truly evil people out there and we don't just overlook evil things that, uh, you know, that require the law to step in. Assume the best about someone's words or actions. Did you see what he did? Did you see what she said? I know what they meant. I can read between the lines. How about you stop reading between the lines for a moment? And just give grace. Ephesians 2 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, 
not by works so that no one can boast. You've been saved by God's grace. It's covered you. Buckets of it have dumped on you. For some of you, you've never received that grace. Jesus paid for your grace. He paid for it. Grace is actually a free gift, but it was very costly for him. He paid for it to give it to you. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes now? If, if this is you and you want to receive that grace this morning for the very first time in your entire life, if you want to say this morning, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died on the cross to pay for all the things I've done wrong and all the things I'm going to do in the future that are wrong. If that's you and you want to receive that grace, I invite you to do that this morning. Would you look up at me if you need to receive that this morning? For the first time, receive his grace. If this is you and you want to receive it.